Welcome, welcome, welcome everyone to this episode of Tech Cars Machines. We could also say that it's Tech Cars Agriculture, but probably it's more accurate to call it Tech Cars Y Combinator. In fact, we have a double header for you, and the reason is Y Combinator. For those of you who don't know, Y Combinator is probably the most prominent pure incubator in Silicon Valley. They take applicants twice a year, and twice a year they graduate those applicants. And the format of that graduation is that they each get a couple minutes, go on stage, and get to present to a group of investors. This year, back in March at the Winter Demo Day, a couple of us from GTK Partners were present as investors. What we decided to do is to give a couple of the folks that were up there who really fit into the tech cars machines, give them the mic, if you will, on our platform, both in the podcast and our publication series, and let them bring their aspirations directly to you. Two companies are what we're going to focus on, both of them involved in agriculture. In this episode, we'll focus on Beanstalk, which is about indoor farming. In the other simultaneously released episode, we'll talk about Bear Flag Robotics, which is about self-driving tractors. So what we're really doing in this episode is not just leaving the world of self-driving cars and other machinery around. We're actually leaving the road, and in fact, we're leaving town, and we're going to go to farms. As we mentioned, Beanstalk and the sibling founders, Mike and Jack Ross, are focused on indoor farming. When most people think about indoor farming, they, um, they tend to think about a greenhouse, which, is, you know, which, as you know, are those transparent large structures that typically sit on a farm or close to wherever a farm typically tends to be. What Beanstalk is doing is something different. The structures are warehouses, they're not transparent, and they're growing food right next to population centers or very close to population centers. And they use a technology called hydroponics. And I'll let them explain in the episode exactly what that is. A couple points of background that will be useful to you are the following. This is not the first time somebody has attempted this. In fact, some of our own affiliates about 10 years ago took a look at doing similar things in Detroit. 10 years ago, recall it was the Great Recession. Buildings were cheap in Detroit. In fact, many thousands were abandoned. And electricity also tends to be cheap in places like Detroit that have hydropower. Three hurdles were discovered by those particular very experienced entrepreneurs that looked at it at that time. First, the economics didn't quite work out. Second, distribution seemed to be a problem. And third, how do you maintain long-term competitive advantage? A couple things have changed fairly dramatically since then, since the last over the last 10 years, as far as the economics go. First, the cost of generating artificial light indoor has come down quite a bit, specifically LEDs, which rely on the same manufacturing techniques to make computers and electronics, have exhibited the same dramatic cost and performance improvements that the world of electronics has been exhibiting for 30, 40 years. Specifically, an LED generates light at a cost that is about 1 15th to 1 20th of what it was 10 years ago. So that's a pretty big change. Second, the world of 3D printing has started to mature. The components inside 3D printers that move things around have become a lot cheaper. This matters to indoor farms because as it turns out, the brothers Mike and Jack Ross have managed to use these similar technologies to reduce the cost of labor of indoor farming. So just like autonomy, where a lot of technologies like cameras and image recognition and whatnot, which were developed for other applications, are now relevant to autonomy and making a big difference, we've noticed the, you'll notice a couple different technologies in the case of Beanstalk that are now spilling over and potentially making a big difference in terms of where you can grow food and how efficiently you can do it. Without further ado, Mr. Mike and Jack Ross, the really great and energetic founders of Beanstalk. Tech. 
Cars, machines. Subscribe here or at gtkpartners.com. Great. Well, thank you, Oli. I'm、uh, Mike Ross. I'm the co-founder and CEO, and I'm here with my brother Jack, who's going to give a, a quick intro on the company. Jack, why don't we do it in the format of Y Combinator? And just so you know, listeners, we met the Ross brothers at the Y Combinator Winter. What's it called? Winter. Well, the winter, winter batch. The winter yeah, batch. Winter batch. We were there for demo day. They impressed a lot of people with their、uh, with their presentation. Got a lot of attention from the people in the crowd, and we were fortunate enough to be able to meet them as well. And I thought, you know what? Let's put their achievements and let's put their dreams in front of our audience and see what you guys think about what they're up to. Give us the two minutes, and believe it or not, they're <laughs> they're、uh, restricted to two minutes at Y Combinator. Give us the two minute spiel. Happy to. So I'm Jack, I'm co-founder of Beanstalk. We grow produce indoors at the cost of outdoor farming. We get this done because our indoor farms are manufacturing lines. Our manufacturing process increases the the simplicity of our farming. It also reduces costs, and we were able to do this because we looked at where labor is most costly in the farming process, and we built machinery to replace that. And so that allows us to actually compete on volume and price with big agriculture. Over big agriculture, however, we have some serious benefits. We grow indoors, so we're not subject to the ever-changing climate. We grow within a hundred miles of our customers, so our food is fresher and therefore more nutritious. We don't use any pesticides because we don't we don't have pests inside, <laughs> and we also use ninety five percent less water than a traditional farm at a time when water is becoming more and more scarce. Our technology can grow; it uses hydroponics. It can grow anything that grows really above or even below ground. Uh, but we're starting with heirloom greens because of their high sale point. They're grown in only a few select areas around the world, and, and we can bring that very high quality produce much more local.、Uh, in the United States, the heirlooms greens are a five billion dollar market, with fresh produce totaling nearly fifty billion dollars annually.、Uh, my brother and I were experienced operators and engineers,、uh, and, and we're really starting this company because we want to create a sustainable abundance of healthy food through technological advancements. So yeah, we're, we're Beanstalk. We are a manufacturing line farm. We are initially targeting the five billion dollar greens market in the U.S. and we're beginning production this year. Let me tell you, it's very inspiring to meet folks like yourself. It really is just、Thank、taking、you. a market, attacking it very systematically in a very thoughtful manner. Let's draw for our listeners a mental illustration of what this whole operation looks like. So there's definitely a, an otherworldly feel walking into a vertical farm. So we're we're inside of a light industrial warehouse. So buildings that are you know fifteen and twenty thousand square foot footprints with you know twenty thirty foot tall ceilings. Really, the way we like to describe it is it's kind of like an airport baggage facility. You know these these plants are grown in a in a standardized container that's that's shipped around the the warehouse for the different stages of growth and life. So it's a it's a a beautiful thing. There's a lot of green and and purple and different colors.、Uh, so it's And it's all lit up, so it's a it's a it's a truly a unique sight to behold. And it's you know we we can control the the entire climate、uh, inside. And as Michael likes to say, it's always sixty five and sunny in our、yeah. facility. It's a、uh, it's a pleasure working there. It is. <laughs> it's how the plants like it, and it's not too bad for ourselves. Yeah. And where are you located? Where is this facility located? So right now we are、uh, in Mountain View. We're part of the Y Combinator program, but we're moving back to the East Coast、um, to open up production. Okay, so do you have a running facility、uh, right now, or is it mainly sort of a test bed、uh, that you have? So it was it was mostly a, a test bed.、Um, okay. We've done a lot of work over the、uh, the last year to two years of growing with hydroponics, testing different growing methods, selecting the right crops to go to market with, 
And we came out to Y Combinator to really focus on proving unit economics, getting costs to the right point to enter the market. That's definitely a, a big need in the greens market from indoor farms. Um, we've yet to see a, a real, you know, clear winning strategy, and, and we think it's going into the the, the commodity markets. So we, we proved that while we were out here, and now it's we're in the process of tearing down and uh, shipping it across country to get started. I can imagine the warehouse you're describing. When I walk in, is there natural light coming in? Do you augment the natural light, or do you rather just control all the light uh, artificially? So we wanted to have as, as precise of an environment as possible to uh, really reduce any variation in growth. So all of our light is artificial with high-efficiency LEDs. We will look into using natural light, maybe recaptured through PVs, but in the facility, it's all artificial. What do you mean by PVs? Photo- uh, photovoltaic cells. Okay. Yeah. So solar can go a long way in this business. Still not at, at 100% where we'd like it to be, but you know we're definitely big proponents of solar. And any building that we, that we buy or build will have solar on it. When you go back east, what city, what location are you looking at? So we'll be in the mid-Atlantic region, okay. um, starting there and, and, and kind of growing from that. Okay. Okay. That's great. So that's kind of starting at the ceiling, what's coming through the ceiling. As I, as I look around your facility, what am I going to see? Is it plants growing out of uh, pots with just water in it, or is there soil? Uh, what, what am I seeing? So it's a pretty typical hydroponic setup. They grow in a, a soil replacement in bins of water. So what you'll see is we're very good about maximizing that volumetric density, packing the plants in as tightly as physically possible. So mostly what you'll see is plants. You'll see plants growing. Very little of the facility is dedicated to anything other than something that'll generate revenue. We have several robotics uh, that we've built and some machines that, that help with that automation process. But by and large, it's mostly just growing plants. So basically what I'm going to see is vats of water, essentially with plants growing in the water. And uh, there's some sort of nets or meshes or something that provide support for the roots. How does, how does that work? Right? Yeah, so, so we use a, a soil replacement. It's kind of a, a porous, squishy material, similar to the size of about a K-cup. Just enough to give the, the plant some, some support as it grows. And then the, our plants grow essentially on a, on a tiered system, almost like shelves. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, looking at them from the ground, you're just going to see these shelves going all the way up to the ceiling with a, a bright white light above them um, and, and mostly just green beneath because we've really tried to minimize anything else. So it's just plants. Yeah. So it's almost like they're growing in a custom bookcase uh cabinet where each layer of the cabinet has its own lighting exactly that's, that's it um and it, it, you could also contrast that with going to a place like costco where you've got these huge pallet racks um so again we, we are more on the industrial size so you'll you'll just see very large essentially bookcases or shelving units full of greenery okay excellent let's talk a little bit about your technology you've got sensors you've got equipment and actuators that presumably control the water lighting maybe nutrient flow. There's probably some connectivity that established a, a connection. Mm-hmm. And then you've probably got some analytics on top of it. And you certainly mentioned the robotics as well. Right. Which one of those is the most important? Which one is the most uh, unique to the company? It definitely starts with the mechanization of the process. Luckily, growing plants, it's, it's fairly straightforward and there's really nothing new there. The things that we bring to the table that allow us that unique ability in the market is the mechanization. It's finding the hot spots where labor is very intensive in an indoor farm and reducing that by either simplifying the process or simplifying it and then automating that. Um, so it's building very specific machinery around very specific and controlled parts of that process. And then on, on, on top of that, of course, uh, you can't improve what you don't measure. So we make heavy use of sensors that monitor things like air quality, water temperature, you know, how things are moving through the facility, 
um, operational efficiency, things like that. So, Jack, I think you you work on that heavily. Yeah, yeah, and and, and additionally, in focusing on on really the uh, the operating expenses in the farm, we also wanted to focus on making sure that these facilities were, were reasonably cost uh, of, of build out. Um, so we focus all of the things that we grow inside of the, the hydroponic systems themselves are all our own, um, and we've been able to really drive down that that cost of, of building these facilities initially. Once they're up and running, we've designed several pieces of, of machinery from seeding to moving plants around to uh, manipulating plants as they go through their life cycle. They need to be spread out and things like that for to have more room to grow. And so that, that's really allowed us to reduce the cost of labor that is traditionally a, a very high cost for indoor farms. Um, and so that's what brings us much closer to, uh, to commodity pricing and to be profitable at that. And then on the on the software side, we're using several products from the Google Cloud and AWS platforms. There's some really great tools out there. We're big fans of things as a service right now, even though we we had a career in software engineering. Um, anything that reduces that setup time and overhead is a we're, we're big fans of. So things like Lambda and Firebase, they're really great tools to to start with, and we're seeing them actually be a little bit more viable to scale with as well. So we're using that for for running analytics, for running alerts building some very basic dashboards off of those tools to kind of gain insight into the farm. But, you know, for right now, we're, we're still very hands-on in the process. So remote management isn't, isn't as big of a priority for us right now. But, of course, that will be down the line. And, and one of the great things that we have working around that initial manufacturing line uh, design is, is any manufacturing line that's going to have different areas for, for quality assurance, where you can run your tests on everything as they go through the line. And so we can have very dedicated sensors just in a few locations to make sure that our food is really of the highest quality, very, very safe, um, and of the right size where it needs to be. Describe for me one of the machines, the specialized machines that you've made. Just, just draw, draw a mental image for the, the listeners here. Sure. So one of the, the machines that we focus on uh, over the past half a year or so is really involved in uh, taking high dense array of plants, you know, as, as they're kind of leaving that seedling stage or that, that young stage of growth and, and spreading them out into a, a wider array um, for that high growth stage. And so effectively what we've done is we've, we've tried to keep things, again, as Michael said, you know, as simple as possible. And so our machines, you know, we don't have these six axis arms that are extremely expensive and, and complex to program. We're much more along the lines of, uh, you know, 3D printers are good at getting exact locations and moving things around. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we've tried to take inspiration from from things like like a 3D printer or, you know, other gantry systems that, that are really good at, at moving objects um, and they're rather cheap to build. And so for what, for that system for, for moving those plants around, you know, we have something kind of along those lines that can pick a plant up, bring it somewhere else, put it down and do that over and over and over again at a quick speed. Thanks for that explanation, Jack. Let me ask you both, what are your backgrounds? What allows you to be efficient and good at... Uh creating all the technical components of the Beanstalk uh, company? I really think it starts with our parents and our upbringing. Uh, I was going to ask you, are yeah, they happy yeah. about this? <laughs> they, they are. They are. They've, they found our path very interesting. You know, as, as we both left maybe more traditional uh, software engineering roles to you know go start farming and start a company, they, they had their fair share of questions. Yeah. But now that we're, we're up and moving and they see that we're growing things, they're very happy. You know, my, my background is uh, I have a degree in aerospace engineering from uh, Georgia Tech. Go Jackets. Nice, nice. Uh, spent <laughs> I some... went to high school in Florida, so, All so right. Georgia Tech was a big destination for yeah. people in my uh, yeah. school. Yeah, so we're, we're big fans of the Southeast. Uh, it was a lot of fun uh, living in Georgia for a while. And then I went into uh, software consulting, 
and uh, got, got experience with some machine learning, back-end systems, data management. And then at the very end there was in sales. So learned a lot from some really great mentors about how to talk to these large enterprise businesses, which, which are now our customers. My background, I started with technology rather early. Uh, I was building computers and tablets uh, in junior high and then into high school. I started writing iPhone apps just about a year after the App Store came out. It was, was fortunate enough to create a, a game that, that spread uh, pretty far across the world. What, what's it um, called? It, it was called Grackle. It was just an arcade game. Yeah. Uh, it was about a farmer, actually. It was. How do you, how do you spell enough. it? Uh, G-R-A-C-K-L-E. All right. Um, All right. I don't think it's been updated in some time. Yeah, that was that was almost eight years ago, seven years ago. Yeah. But ended up reaching over 500,000 people with that. That gave me enough money to, to go to college. And so I ended up going to UVA, uh, nice. Go Who's, and studied electrical computer engineering there. Nice. And so you know, between the two of us, we, we kind of have that mechanical side that's needed to build these, these large farms. And the, the automation side, I spent a lot of time studying autonomous robotics and fleet robotics um, that, that we can both apply to what we're doing right now. Yeah. So between the building drones and fleet robotics at school and working in the wood shop with our dad, just that really hands-on appreciation for craftsmanship and just, just understanding that, you know, learning is, is really the key. So we're, we're big believers in finding mentors in areas that, that we haven't, you know, don't have the most experience in and, and just staying very open to other ideas. We're very much not precious about a lot of the things that we've built. It's, it's, it's very rewarding. You know, we spend a lot of our time today either, you know, making robots or, or designing bigger structures. But at the end of the day, we have food growing, right? That we get to take home and eat. Yeah. Those, those long, hard days are rewarded by eating our own product, which that's coming from software. That's not something I was able to experience. Right. <laughs> <laughs> that's uh, great. Maybe let's move on to the strategy and the rationale and the construct of your business, how you assembled it, some of the features you wanted to have, some of the branding that you wanted to have that makes it a uh, distinguished and sustainable business. Talk about that other Jack or, or Mike. Sure. So s- sustainability for us is, is really creating a process that can run forever. To us, that means that it, it needs to be powered by something that can continue to run forever, renewable energies. Uh, we need to conserve uh, resources that are very precious, like, like water. And it, it's, it's, you know, we're, we're making food. We need to make sure that this is something we design that can generate food for, for really the, the rest of time that, that humans are on Earth. Um, and so the, these facilities that we're building, we're, we're paying close attention to everything that uh, goes in. We don't want to use anything that's not necessary. We don't want our machinery to use great amount of power. And, and we want to be very conservative um, in what we use. So we, we definitely measure ourselves on that metric, sustainability. It has to be sustainable. After that, it also has to be high quality. This has to be nutritious food. We're addressing the problem of a lack of nutrition. Um, we produce a lot of food, but not all of it is, is nutritious. And even the stuff that is nutritious, by the time it reaches that consumer, it's lost a lot of its, of its value. And by we, you mean society at large. So society at large, right. right. We're, we're getting very good at, at maximizing our arable land, but that's shrinking. Um, and the U.S. in particular is importing a lot of its food. So we just need a way to kind of restore that locally. And that's how we bring that nutrition back. Yeah, And, and the quality and nutrient density of food or, or the nutrients inside the food will degrade over time. And so the, the farther food travels, the more time it spends traveling. And then therefore, the worse the food will be when it gets to your plate. You know, uh, strawberries in New York in the middle of the winter, they're, they're not that great. Um, and so we want to make sure that we can grow food locally to ensure it's of the highest quality. But to us, that, that's also not good enough. We need to make sure that we're producing food at a price point 
that really the, everyone can afford. We don't want this to be exclusively for, for the high-end restaurants. We want this to be in your local grocery store or at the place you're getting a salad for lunch. That's great. So the passion is around sustainability and affordability. Right. Now, what are the features your business needs to have to be different from hydroponic concepts that have come before, whatever their shortcomings have been, and you can talk about that. And what are the sort of the highlight phrases that you want attached to your business for it to be attractive to, to investors and customers? The market is just fraught with volatility. There is incredible amounts of risk just baked into the system, starting with water and weather, moving on to labor, and then finally transportation. So really, it's, it's addressing that risk upfront. For us, that's local production indoors where you can control the environment. And bringing that stability back to the system is, is what makes us so attractive to our customers. Beyond that, it has to be the pricing. So really, the, this, this business is judged on quality and pricing. We've achieved the quality through hydroponics um, as a society again. And, and it's, it's Beanstalk that's bringing the prices down to the volume in the market, the wholesale side of, of the market. And that's really the biggest feature to our customers. So, Mike, is, is the implication of what you just said that hydroponics so far has proven itself to be able to produce equally nutritious food as soil grown? Is that what you're, what you're saying? But they haven't been able to do it at the right cost? That's exactly correct. And in a lot of circumstances, um, because you might be in a greenhouse or some other indoor, more controlled environment, you can, you can actually grow better seeds. You can grow heirloom seeds. And this is food that has been, you know, handpicked over, over many, many generations to be the tastiest food. The problem is the pests also evolved over that same time period to, to recognize that food and to eat it. So it's just not economical for an outdoor field to grow that really high quality food. They have to use uh, food that's been engineered for pest resistance, weed resistance, and then that long travel to the end consumer. So hydroponics has proven that you can grow these things and they taste great and they're very healthy. Um, and you have a really good control over its origin. It's just the price has been too high. It's not been stable enough to produce at a, at a, lar a large enough volume. But yeah, hydroponics is really just the method of which you're delivering nutrients to the plant. Okay. Uh, it's through a mostly water-based approach, whereas traditional growing is done in soil, which retains the water and some of the nutrients are in the soil. With hydroponics, you have to deliver the nutrients through the water. What do you say to the skeptics that say it just can't be the same mm -hmm. from a nutrient uh uh, perspective. In particular with greens, the vast majority of the nutrition comes from the seed itself. Um, and so by starting with the highest quality seeds, we get to have incredible taste and nutrition in the food. Beyond that, about 80 to 90% of the plant, depending on what you grow, is water. Um, and then there are a few key uh, elements, fertilizers that you need to for, for growth. And so it, it really boils down to just biology and chemistry, ensuring that the plant has what it needs for photosynthesis and to grow in size. And so when, you know, you look at the, the end product, the, the nutrition in plants grown indoors, because one, you're using a better seed and two, you have a perfect environment, that plant is going to be the highest quality um, that, that we can create. And there's actually a lot of um, innovation being done in, in, um, in microbiomes and additives that you can bring to simulate that biological environment in the soil. And that matters more for the the fruiting plants, you know, things like tomatoes are more susceptible to needing different nutrients in the soil and different biological activity. And there's, there's a lot of research being done. Um, and, and we're certainly talking to a few research universities that, that are working on that. So we, we hope to kind of push that science forward. Great. So let's start switching into 
some of the business decisions you've made about what you want to grow, what kind of plants you're growing, how far away you want to be located from whoever your end user is, and how do you get your stuff into into people's mouths? <laughs> <laughs> sure. So for us, just thinking about a, a sustainable business where you are impacting a lot of people and proving that you can hit the price points, um, for us, it's wholesale. That allows us to really focus on refining our process, making sure that we're delivering the best product on time to the specifications of the customer and not worrying as much about, you know, other aspects of a business that, that might want to go into retail or things like that. That is on our, on our roadmap. But for now, we want to really focus on just providing high quality food and, and large volumes. We've also decided to locate within about a hundred miles of our end consumers that provides us that local label that proves the nutrition of, of the product. And um, because of some of the software and sensors we're using, we're able to tailor our harvest schedules based on delivery. So we can ensure that, you know, that farm to plate time is, is minimal. Yeah. What's, what uh, selections have you made in terms of what you want to grow and, and why? The products that we're starting with are, are heirloom greens. Um, in particular, we're looking at, uh, you know, things along salad mixes, head lettuces, they have a, a bit of a higher price point. They're increasingly demanded in large cities as people eat more salad um, and try to live a bit of a healthier lifestyle. And for our customers, it's really a, a great need. They need more supply in, in those greens uh, categories. As the you know, climate's changed, they have to change where they're getting food from currently. And as you know, trucking is, is uh, increasingly changing, that adds a lot of complexity. And they, they can't even, for many of them, they can't meet the demand that they have. And so not only can we provide a better product, but we can actually provide something they just can't get right now, which is that high volume that uh, they need for their customers. You mentioned the word local. What does it take to qualify to be called local? Is so, there a mileage, a distance, a time? A lot of that really depends on who's purchasing. And, you know, for example, there, there are companies like Chipotle that are um, really focused on supporting local growers. Um, and so for them, they've, they've set that radius to where they can guarantee quality and, 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 and still meet that more local demand. Then there are restaurants in, uh, in, in the area we're from in Charlottesville, Virginia. They're very stringent. They actually want to maintain a one-to-one -one relationship with farmers. So for them, that can be as, as small as 50 miles away. So it really just, it just depends on, on who's buying. We've seen uh, really in, in terms of that wholesale market, 250 miles seems to come up a lot. So we wanted to set our sights uh, a little higher, um, just to make sure that that we were maximizing that potential customer base. So the Mid Atlantic makes a lot of sense, right? Exactly. High but population density, good transportation networks. Seems like you've thought a lot about taking a lot of the cost out of the hydroponic system through automation, mechanical automation, essentially. Right now, presumably, that warehouse you're renting is a lot more expensive than land in the middle of nowhere, you know, a few thousand miles away. What makes up for that? Can you grow? more often, more cycles? How are those economics? It's an interesting trade-off, actually. So, you know, you're, you're, you're talking about maybe one or two dollars a square foot in the you know, middle of nowhere per year, of course. Yeah, uh, the Bay Area, we've got to be careful with that. That's a, that's a monthly value. Um, uh, yeah, so, maybe, maybe weekly. Yeah. Maybe weekly. <laughs> Where you're standing right now is yeah, a little north see. of that on a weekly basis. <laughs> oh, boy. Okay. Well, um, yeah. So what, what we've done our research and... Um, yeah, it's it's around that one to two dollars per square foot per year in the uh, in the outskirts, and it's really only about ten dollars a square foot a year uh, in the city limits. So for us, because we're vertical, we're making we're making great use of that of that square footage. 
Um, we're even going a step further in maximizing volume. But being that close affords us that that local brand. It makes it easier for transportation. You know, we'll be in transportation hubs. We'll be in distribution center hubs. Uh, we, we could very well end up next door to our customer. And and that just simplifies the business so much for us that the uh, the real estate kind of falls out of that. And other people haven't attempted this so far, mainly because they just haven't put the they don't have your integrated set of skills to to mechanize what needs to be mechanized. That's that's essentially it. Um, there are okay. plenty of businesses that have tried, you know, in the years past. Um, for them, it was mostly around energy costs. LEDs have come a, a very long way. So the folks that are out in the field now, no pun intended, they are uh, they're they're just coming up on that that labor costs. You know, there's a a great report put out every year by Agrilist and. Uh, they're, they're, they're putting the indoor labor at, you know, in the 50 to 60% of their operational costs, which is just really, really high. Um, you lose a lot of the automation indoors when you come off the field. You know, there are no John Deere's or, you know, case tractors for indoor farming, and that causes expenses to go up. What do you say to the people who say, oh, look, if it turns out to be a great idea, you know, Megacorp Inc. will come and take over? You know, <laughs> for us to stop doing what we're doing because of the possibility of, you know, the, the big industrial farmer coming after us, you know, that's just, just not who my brother and I are. We started this to really change uh, the quality of food that's grown. And, you know, we're, we're up for the challenge. We're really excited about all the different problems that this business entails, be it in engineering, be it on the sales side or, or you know, working against uh, competition. We, we think what we're doing is really important to one, increase the, the sustainability of our food supply. You know, I, the way we currently grow food is just, it's just not sustainable and it's not gonna, it's not gonna feed the increasing population. And it's also gonna harm the, the world that we live in. But let's talk a little bit about cost because I remember you've given me these numbers before, mm-hmm. but let's, let's have people understand um, how much progress you've made on the, on the cost side. So without going into uh, too much detail, um, essentially, what we've been able to do is get our unit economics to the point where we're able to actually sell to the wholesale customers um, and, that we've been talking to. Yeah, and, and that was really important. So what we focused on uh, over the past year or so was getting to a point where we had enough margin to to go after that wholesale market um, with great stability. And so the, those wholesale prices, they are a good bit cheaper than what you're going to see in retail and you know, there are some people that have, that have tried direct to consumer to get that ultimate price point. But, but we, go, we, we view going into wholesale as the way to get the largest volume. Um, and, and having that capacity uh, will afford us the opportunity to do a lot of things. What have we not talked about that you want people to know? We've, uh, we've covered quite a bit. <laughs> We're good one here the, at Tech Marketing. Yeah, Let me tell you, is it, you don't uh, miss anything. One of the things we'd love to talk about is, is how we're expanding our team. We, we are looking for, for smart people to bring on board to really help us kind of create the, the next sustainable farm. We're, we're looking in particular for, for engineers with experience in, in automation, manufacturing line, robotics, but also a lot of plant scientists. We believe that there's a lot to be done that hasn't really been able to, be, to have been done before because we can control environments to an incredible uh, point of precision in that we can really start to test out different ways to grow things that can grow faster to change the nutrient quantity in plants. And so, yeah, we're, we're looking for, you know, a- any smart engineer or plant scientist who wants to come on board and help us. Okay. So call for resumes. Yes, absolutely. You're, you're looking for people. You're on your way to the moon. That's right. <laughs> you, want people, yeah. you want people to go along. The moon and maybe Mars. 
You know, one thing that's fashionable in the in the Bay Area sort of startup uh, and venture capital community now is always to look in under the hood at a company and say, "Hey, is there something? Is there a part of what these uh, what these guys are doing that's maybe just as valuable or, or can really contribute value to the whole?" Have you thought about selling your mechanical creations, uh, patenting them, productizing them, rather than selling the the leafy greens? We certainly do have a lot of IP that, that we are protecting. Um, we plan on operating uh, the farms for, for at least the, the first little while just to really ensure that we are creating the highest quality product and we have that very close uh, or closed loop of feedback. As we've talked to people from all across the world, we've realized that there's really a great demand for this internationally and that there are people that have expertise in expanding um, into different regions uh, across the continent and across the world. And so as we get farther down the road, we're, we're certainly open to opportunities of, of uh, gathering some partners to help expand this, be it through franchising, licensing, or, or some was, other method. I was going to bring up, I was, actually, that was the exact question I was going to ask you, which is <laughs> a franchisable idea, especially if, you, uh, if you're able to brand uh, right. the produce, which is happening increasingly frequently. I mean, you go to sort of mid-scale and up restaurants now, and they tell you what farm or what, what particular location the uh, the ingredients are coming from. So that seems like a really interesting sort of hydroponics in a box type of uh, type of uh, potential for the company. Yeah, we we uh, we will be branding everything that we use. Um, we've already established some great relationships with uh, chefs and restaurant owners back in the Mid Atlantic that are very excited to uh, to use our produce, um, and we just hope to expand that base as we grow. Great, you know, guys, it's been inspirational to have you here. I Thank hope you. to enjoy one of your. One of your salads uh, <laughs> soon. <laughs> Where in the which cities in the Mid Atlantic do you think that'll first happen? Uh, so we're we're looking around the uh, Philly, Baltimore, and, and DC areas. It's it's been a real pleasure. Thank you so much for having us. It's been exciting for me, as I told you guys, uh, uh, it would be before. Great, thank you so much. Thank All you. Right. Bye bye. Haven't we made you feel like really smart? Let us elevate you to very stable genius. Click subscribe. Or visit us at gtkpartners.com, where our subscribe buttons are much bigger.